Okay, um, I'm going to say yeah. something and I want you to respond. So, and I said something. You and we had it. That's a bit better. Okay. <laughs> Ten seconds before I started talking and I was like, oh, Nina just fucking steamrolled right over me. Oh, no. Fine. Well, this is Fred and Barakay Salima's <laughs> podcast, I guess. <laughs> I am Nemo, your moderator. I use they them pronouns. And it is so fucking hot in my room right now. Um, my room acts as a con- con- uh, conservatory? Conservatory? It's That's a word that like, Sure. We'll go for conservatory. It's basically, it gets all of the sun and none of the wind. And it just bakes me and it's really hot and I can't do anything about it and it's the only room I have in my house that I can go to so it's really fun um so I'm sweating a lot (laughs) um and that's where I'm at today (laughs) I'm Grace I use they them pronouns I'm your legacy primary researcher and opinion haver and I have the coldest room in the house so right now I'm really comfortable for the first time in maybe two weeks. Um, so I'm chilling. Like I'm having a great time. I get the draft from the chimney and from the door. Um, so I'll probably have a harder time at night. But right now I'm living it. I'm Stevie, your current primary researcher. And I am also in the hottest room of my house. Uh, I'm reading Victor Hugo the way I think that he intended it. In the 80s, I will be gay when they make the sequel, and we're in the noughties shorts, which are like microscopic, and a crop top, which anyone who knows me knows I would not wear out of the house, but I need to to live. I have one outfit, and it's t-shirt and pajama bottoms, so anytime anyone mentions like anything else, I'm like... Oh yeah, things exist that I could get changed into. Oh. Like I don't have to be wearing flannel. <laughs> You've been wearing flannel? Are you kidding? How could you, you spend ten minutes talking about how swelter- sweltering you are, and then <laughs> it like literally, Stop honestly, off. didn't concert to, like um, like getting changed hasn't like crossed my mind for so long. <laughs> Just wear some shorts, you fool. Speaking of incomprehensible decisions, <laughs> we're still at the Battle of Waterloo. <laughs> the ultimate incomprehensible decision. So we left off at the end of the battle, but now we're going to get about two chapters of Victor Hugo's roundup, Cliff's Notes, but they're not really Cliff's Notes because they're still quite long. Uh, <laughs> Was it like post-game commentary? Yeah, and he says, The Battle of Waterloo is an enigma as incomprehensible to the winners as to the losers. To Napoleon it was a panic, and Wellington did not understand it at all. Uh, <laughs> the, the vibe of these ones is like, it's kind of more of the same, like, what really went on? Who deserved to win? Was it God? What does this mean? But, you know, spread out over a couple pages. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of like the part played by man is negligible. So we're like, okay, so it was God. Like, but also the uh, individual 
Yeah, he kind of muses a lot about like, okay, so maybe technically England won the battle, but like, who <laughs> really won the fight? And he sort of get uh, like, there's some like nice things. He kind of gets into that like, should all the credit go to Wellington and Blucher, the like the generals? Um, he's like, no, I think that the greatness of those countries and no is in no way affected by what happened at Waterloo. Peoples are great, thank heaven, irrespective of the grim chances of the sword. Um, that basically like the armies and the greater people of each nation are more important than say one general who's going to be remembered is kind of the vibe that I got that's pretty nice of him (laughs) wow thanks I say hesitantly (laughs) wondering what's coming up next (laughs) I absolutely don't trust this Yeah, he says that civilised peoples, particularly in our present age, neither rise nor sink according to the good or ill fortune of a military leader. Um, Their honour, thank God, their dignity, their genius and the light they shed, are are not merely numbers drawn in the lottery of battle by those gamblers, those heroes and conquerors, Uh, that it is a game of loser wins? So then he kind of goes off on a like, those... So technically France did win. (laughs) Kind of basically, because he's like, well, when you lose a war, that means that things have to change for the loser mm-hmm. and the way that things are being run, which he's going to get into more later. Don't you worry. Oh, and more for, for the uh, the fic that you're writing, Nemo. Napoleon <laughs> and Wellington were not enemies, but opposites. <laughs> it's, so the fic title is Opposites Attract. That seems oh, yeah. very... Uh... Actually, well, I feel like it depends on what the sort of content of the fic is, because I feel like if it was fluff, it would be opposites attract. But if it was like hurt, comfort or angst, it would be um, not enemies, but opposite. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me I'm fucking wrong. (laughs) No, you're not wrong. Good. Why would you say something so brave? (laughs) So brave and yet so controversial. (laughs) Uh, well more for the fic he gets in a proper like here is what one man stands for and here is the other like on the one side precision foresight shrewd calculation cool tenacity and military (laughs) correctitude uh quite a bit more uh on the other side intuition divination military unorthodoxy more than human instinct the eye of the eagle that strikes with lightning swiftness (laughs) prodigious art mingled with reckless impetuosity Um, how could they how could the other love me uh, napoleon thought (laughs) when i represent such impetuous impetuative oh no i can't well, like, even me looking at the word written on the page, I'm struggling to say it. Impetuosity? Impetuosity? Is that a thing? Yeah. I know, like, in- that. Impetuous, I know, as a word, but seeing yeah. it written like impetuosity, I'm like, okay, that word wasn't meant to be spoken aloud. Yeah. <laughs> but- and that's a written word, and it exists in the written sphere. <laughs> Wellington was the technician of war. Napoleon was its Michelangelo. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> And this time, genius was vanquished by rule of thumb. Why is Hugo so gay? God, he really is. Wellington. That sounded like piano for a second. 
Yeah, I'm actually playing the piano while we're recording a podcast. Sorry, is that not appropriate? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, then we go back into sort of like very classic imagery and like like symbolism and all that. Um, That like Napoleon has lost, like Rome once lost uh, this whirlwind of a man. Um, Where did he spring from? Where did he go? Where did he come from? (laughs) (laughs) What was he, this upstart of war with the effrontery of a thunderbolt oh that's why i wrote classic um <laughs> waterloo was a battle of the first importance won by a commander of the second rank you're like wow kill wellington <laughs> and then yeah sort of into this like oh england's being too modest in respect to wellington it's not just him who was great she's diminishing herself that yeah that the men that wellington co- commanded were also very heroic that the Waterloo column in London would do greater justice if it raised to the heavens not the figure of a man, but the image of a race. <laughs> I mean, I agree, which is really annoying. Yeah. But, like, yeah. I just don't want to agree with Hugo in anything. Yeah, God. I feel like we should change the name of our podcast or the, like, subtitle of our podcast to I don't want to agree with Hugo on anything. <laughs> Okay. I guess it's hiding me over a little bit that it's like I, I bet like half of half of this is like, you know, actual sentiment about, you know, the people versus the like the greater the, the the great man theory kind of thing. So then half of it really is Hugo just being like the most like sore loser of um yeah. no no like French <laughs> absolutely are pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And actually we meant to lose. So <laughs> Yeah. And Napoleon's not actually not Napoleon. Uh, Wellington's not actually that great anyway. So because yeah. about the English people, yeah. yeah. And actually, Wellington was bad because he didn't support the English people. And actually, exactly. I really love England. So yeah. and actually, in any way, like because it was the English people that won. And, you know, people are kind of divested from the country that they come from, which is just, it's a a win for humanity, which means that it's basically a win for France. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, then Victor Hugo, like, kind of reads the English for filth, that you're like, oh, I guess we're going to maybe continue to agree with you. (laughs) But yeah, after being like, um, you know, the English people should be up on the column, blah, blah, blah. They uh, put too much stock in their heroes. Like, but these words will not please the English. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. He's like, um, despite their revolution of 1688, uh, they believe in hereditary and hierarchy. Um, They are a people unsurpassed in power of glory, but they still think of themselves as a nation, not as a people. The workman lets himself be despised. The soldier lets himself be flogged. Yeah, that basically we are so caught up in sort of monarchy and tradition that you're like, Ugh! is he you know fucking what? wrong? <laughs> God damn. Yeah. Wow. Actually, Hugo, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> get him. <laughs> yeah. Fucking yeah. get him. Wow. This wow. one time we let him out of his cage and he's doing just fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm reeling from that like he's so fucking right so after that um, beat down which was deserved uh, he's like okay I'll let you ponder over that for a minute Um, we'll get back to how God rolled those dice and 
chance plays the part in the war. <laughs> oh, then that um, Waterloo was more of a massacre than a battle. Um, and he was very much like, don't, I know I said, this isn't a history. And I am just one man <laughs> on a journey. But I do have some statistics for you. <laughs> yeah. if, 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 you want, if you want them, um, quite a lot of them. So I think the only, the most relevant one at the end is that um, at Waterloo, between the two armies, there was about 145,000 combatants and 60,000 died, which is 41%. You're like, ooh, it's pretty pretty fucking high. Jesus. Damn, yeah. It's quite a lot of people, huh? Turns out war, not so nice. (laughs) Turns out. What's so civil about war anyway? (laughs) Um, it wasn't a civil war, but you know, it just felt like a good opportunity. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> about that platitude. Yeah, this one page is quite interesting because, like, literally the top paragraph of this page is the like, "fuck you, England," and we're like, "damn, you're right, we are still like that." The second paragraph is, "and here are all my numbers and statistics, of which there are many," and the final paragraph is like, "so any I'm where I'm Victor Hugo and I'm a poet. Here are my <laughs> classic uh, imagery again uh, that." If you're there at night, it's like the mist rises and you can still see the armies fighting to this day. Uh, The echoes of catastrophe. Evocative. (laughs) It's that kind of like that thing that was getting me most in the, at the beginning of Waterloo. And then in in the middle paragraph, uh, part, sorry, where it went from like, here are my two styles to I'm mixing my styles. And then at this point on this one page, I'm like, and here are all your styles, Victor Hugo. (laughs) He's bringing them all together in a cohesive cohesion. Wow, because they're not a nation, they're a people. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I'll show those English. (laughs) Yeah, and then we get on to our next chapter. Should we approve of Waterloo? Uh, This is like, so Victor Hugo. There exists a highly respectable school of liberal thought which does not deplore Waterloo. We are not of their number. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, and then he's like, okay, Waterloo was a very strange event, uh, and it fucking confounds everyone. Like, God, where he, like, comes for all actual historians. Um, they're just like, oh, you can tell from, like, the different reports and the way it's written, written about. No one really knows what was going on. That there was only, like, one, oh, one writer who, he, like, takes the time to be like, and I don't usually approve of this person. Uh, but they're the only one who's really like captures what really went on. But the uh, meat of this one is that yeah, more of his like, well, maybe England won the war, but you know, the losers really take something from that. That uh, basically, this was a the Waterloo Battle was like counterculture versus current culture, with um mm-hmm. that England and Prussia and sort of whoever was sort of lending some soldiers to their side were fighting the monarchy kind of thing. Whereas at this point, France was like, well, Napoleon and Napoleonic Empire were kind of annexing different places and versus monarchy and divine right, in square quotes, uh, being appointed by God to have a ruler. But that this was... So the winner of this fight was... The old ways? Mm. <laughs> mm, interesting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're like, That's okay. actually really interesting of the like, um, that it has been leading up to France 
won this time because it meant that because we were divesting the old ways in the way of monarchy and like yeah england still is very hmm interesting <laughs> all right hugo <laughs> Mm. So, yeah, sorry, I found the bit. Waterloo was an assertion of the d- divine rights of kings, which is the, like, God appoints the king, and that's why it's right that he's king, because God said so. But that in the face of this battle, that a gr- grudging constitutionalism emerged from Waterloo to the great displeasure of the victors, the fact is that the revolution, being wholly inevitable, could not really be destroyed. Um, but yeah, so basically... This was the rest of Europe being like, oh, God, no more uh, getting rid of kings. But that this kind of thing had been happening before Waterloo and that it happened again after Waterloo, that there was further revolutions in France. So this kind of thing can't be stopped. This, Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like, um, is further evidence for um, this essay being about Enjolras being um, Napoleon. Mm -hmm. This this um, adds to that, I would say, big time, because it's yeah. it's very that like even though this was disproved at the time and the revolution was crushed, um, mm. it it sort of paved a way. It paved a way for a way of thought, um, and that the revolution and the will of the people is still um, an inevitability mm. in this essay. I, I will agree. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm seeing it definitely more now. Mm. That we're getting these like concluding bits of yeah. Um, yeah well, yeah. Nima, some of us see it while it's before you get to the conclusion. You know. <laughs> All right. Some of us are just too clever. <laughs> <laughs> this bit, which I put a question mark next to, because I was like, "This sounds poignant, but I can't really like understand it." But maybe it. I feel like it could maybe be doing what you were just saying, Grace. Um, to understand the nature of the revolution, we must call it progress. And we may define progress by the word tomorrow. Tomorrow irresistibly does its work, yesterday as today, and it always achieves its aims, although by strange means. That kind of made more sense to me after you'd sort of said what you were saying about Enjolas and the like, even if he fails now, in the future, his aims will be fulfilled. Yeah, it's, it's, it's again interesting because um, of what I was saying last time of like, I completely forgot to go back and read whether I was actually reading the, his whole thing about whether revolution actually counts. Um, because because even in, in the musical, it's like, it, it is that thing of like, um, the idea of even if we fail today, um, we're paving the way for the next people to come mm. and do the things. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it, it is interesting that he is kind of setting up the idea here where, of it being a positive thing or like a yeah the paving thing something Mm. yeah yeah you can (laughs) learn from defeat whereas when you win maybe you don't learn as much yeah Uh, I I don't know it it would be interesting to see um how because you only you only learn from defeat because you want to try again and maybe it's the whole thing of wanting to try again that's the important thing. There's no point getting defeated if if you... There's no point trying if, if you're going to be defeated, you just give up. And I feel like that's more of a thing than, like, the actual just getting defeated. Because a lot of people can get defeated um, and it doesn't mean that they've won because they haven't taken anything from it. Mm. Um, so maybe this is, yes, him being, like... Um, 
yeah, being defeated is good because you learn from it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But Napoleon didn't learn from it, and he didn't he didn't take this loss as the win it should have been. He allowed himself to get too caught up in the losing and not in the trying again. I like the way that sounded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm in the same thing where it's like, hmm, that sounds right. I don't know if I think that that's what he's arguing. <laughs> it sounds yeah, nice. So. Um, yeah, it can be another thing that we um, keep an eye on. Yeah. yeah. God, we need to actually have a list that's in front of our eyes <laughs> of the things we're keeping an eye on. No, no, no. It's a motif of, of this podcast where we've got to... Um, it's how they know they're listening to us. Uh, bread and butter. Oh. <laughs> Everyone here is lactose intolerant. <laughs> Just plain bread. Uh, well, Waterloo put an end to the overthrow of European thrones by the sword. But the effect of this was to cause the work of revolution to proceed in another form. The day of the swordsman was ended, the thinkers took their place. The tides of the century which Waterloo sought to stem flowed over the battlefield and still rose. Their sinister victory was defeated by liberty. Yeah, so that's very much the like, Waterloo was won by, in battle, for the English, but this was, according to Victor Hugo, like a turning point for revolutions becoming a more, like, people driven thing than mm-hmm. than war man i can't believe he was actually setting things up <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the real question is still did he need to fucking go do over it. this long to end this up but i guess he did do something i guess he uh, concludes this chapter with the uh, we must read into waterloo no more than it truly represented oh come on <laughs> <laughs> Well, don't worry. One man. <laughs> He's gonna then do this roundup for another whole chapter. But it, for this chapter, he's saying, uh, "Don't read into it any more than you need to." Um, there was no intention of liberty. The counter-revolution involuntarily turned liberal, just as Napoleon, by a parallel phenomenon, involuntarily turned revolutionary. Um, mm. On the 18th of June, 1815, the Robespierre on horseback was unseated. So this is Napoleon losing his power and France wanting to go back to a monarchy. So then Napoleon, who used to be first, I guess, the revolutionary, then the status quo, is once again um, revolting against what has become again the old status quo, Mm. if that made sense. It does make sense and is interesting and I'm still reeling from him being like, don't read into anything. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid bastard. I hate him. (laughs) He makes a good point, but fuck. (laughs) Damn, he loves to keep us on our toes, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe he's just trying to um, foster mental flexibility in his readers. (laughs) (laughs) Feels like it sometimes. Our next chapter is Revival of Divine Right. So this is just sort of getting a lot more into that theme of, like, Europe uh, real happy because they've re-cemented monarchy and divine right. Um, that, uh, yeah, Louis the, I want to say 18th. I'm going to write a number and someone else is going to read it for me. 18th, yep. Okay, excellent. 
Um, oh, I was like, where so, the fuck are you going to write it? No. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just going to know because our podcast connection is so strong. The number one I wrote on my hand. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Louis XVIII, the exile was back on the throne. And it kind of gets into a lot of like, and he restored this monument. And this is where the bodies of Marie Antoinette and the last Louis were in their kind of like not super extravagant grave so we're gonna marble over that uh <laughs> everything's getting a bit of a facelift um the uh there's a lot of dark and light imagery actually here um all the darkness and the light in the world changed places because on a summer afternoon a shepherd had said to a prussian general in a wood go this way and not that way which i like is another one of those like yeah this decision by a small person mm-hmm but God, this these are the like two Victor Hugo chapters where you're like, fuck, I guess Victor Hugo. <laughs> that I, we must all give you this. Um, and yeah, nothing like, more. <laughs> just this. Um, yeah, because he's like, oh well, the people who won, they did have to make changes, but only like surface ones. That mm. old poisonous realities changed their outward appearance. Lies were wedded to the year 1789. Divine right hid behind a charter. Acquired the gloss of liberalism. All cynics loud their skins. <laughs> the stature of mankind had been at once heightened and diminished by Napoleon. But the people, that cannon fodder that so loved the gunner, sought him everywhere. Mm, mm, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> he cho- yeah, that was that was a very good metaphor. But I was lost to get the, in the fact that he was making another joke about Napoleon's height. Um, <laughs> where was that i completely skipped over it um he was making another comment about stature oh which i might have let him get away with if he hadn't already done it um <laughs> oh yeah stature of mankind heightened and diminished by napoleon yeah. mm, i'm glad you had to catch those because i was just like yeah that's the thing he said <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I didn't catch it at all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe I'm just being like, "Haha, that's a joke." Um, <laughs> but I feel like it's. I feel like he, that is. It's very specific, and also yeah, he does do those. Yeah. The conclusion of this chapter is that the outlines of a new France began to emerge. Young eyes looked ardently towards this sort of new future, but. Uh, in a strange paradox, they were in love both with the future, which was liberty, and with the past, which was Napoleon. Mm. <laughs> this one. The defeated gained stature in defeat, and Bonaparte fallen <laughs> appeared greater than Napoleon erect. <laughs> there we fucking go! <laughs> God yeah. damn. I feel like that was a yeah. dick joke as well. Yep. <laughs> damn. It's just wow. everything in one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Nemo, in your fic... Um, at the end of the battle uh, Wellington is going to be standing over um, Napoleon who's like lying Mm -hmm. on the ground Um, and in a reference to the fact that they had spent the night together um, Mm -hmm. the the day before he he says in your defeat you appear greater than when erect (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad that we're recording so I don't have to write that down anywhere We um, it was at this point during reading that I was like, I know that I'm pretty close to the end of this uh this book, Victor Hugo, and I was promised that 
this would become relevant to the great <laughs> plot, but that's not the, it doesn't look like there's there's not many pages left. Um yeah, and he he left it to uh not even the whole of the last chapter, <laughs> but I would say part of the way through. Yes, so our final chapter of this book is the battlefield at night. So he's done. Here is the step-by-step of the whole battle. Here are my two to three chapters concluding it. Anyway, back into the battle. (laughs) Um, Animal. (laughs) The night of the 18th of June, 1815 was a full moon. Werewolves. Oh, Oh, sorry, spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) The night sometimes lends its countenance to disaster. Like, okay. Um, we got a lot of, we just read this, Hugo, you don't have to summarize the end of the battle again for me, but okay. But hey, remember, this was, um, published periodically. I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I had to read it as one. (laughs) This is TV advocating for good editors. Um... (laughs) Stevie, once again, coming to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I did, which I didn't realize he left this little morsel until the fucking end of this. That uh, Waterloo isn't even like it's close by, but it isn't where the battle at all happened. That all the places where parts of the battle did happen are scarcely remembered. Whereas Waterloo, which played no part in the battle, has reaped all the glory. So I was like, okay. <laughs> I feel like that's probably referring to something else as well. But I was just like, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I also didn't know that, and I have no idea what he's talking about, so... (laughs) He says, We are not among those who sing the praises of war. We tell the truth about it when the need arises. Uh, War has tragic splendours, which we have not sought to conceal, but it also has its especial squalors, among which is the stripping of the bodies of the dead. The day following the battle always dawns on naked corpses. (laughs) <laughs> sorry i was reading a fucking wikipedia about the battle of waterloo so all i heard was naked corpses and i was like <laughs> yikes. Yikes. he sort of gets into that he's like well voltaire thinks that it's the uh the armies who strip the bodies but i just can't make myself believe that those who would uh hold wreaths of victory during the day would also <laughs> steal from other from like fallen armies in the night kind of thing. And I was like, oh, that's maybe a surprisingly idealistic of you, Hugo. I don't know. Mm. I mean, it's about to get pretty racist, so. Yeah. Well, Well, racist, xenophobic. I don't really know which one it is because it's kind of hard to tell with Yeah, and I guess depending on the translation. Because, yeah, reading this bit, I was like, oh, I can see how this could be translated. (laughs) (laughs) True though it is that the victor is normally followed by the ghoul, we acquit the soldier, and especially the present-day soldier, for this charge. So being like, I I don't think that it's the soldiers who loot. Um, and it, the, like, especially not the present-day ones, felt like at some point he has done that, been told off, and is <sighs> like, I'm not doing it this time. Oof, rough. And then, yeah, we get into the, like, thick of how he... The, Describes the people that he thinks does the uh, post-battle looting. Bat-like creatures, half-ruffian, half-servant. Wearers of uniform who do no fighting. Malignus? God, I've read that word so many times, I never said it aloud. (laughs) Malingerers. Malingerers? Is that 
what that word is? That's Sounds right. Right. Yeah. Say it again, Grace. What's <laughs> more funny? I think it's malingerers. Um, I, I think. Oof. And then, yikes! Venomous cripples. Some Oof. Settlers riding in small carts, sometimes with their women, who steal what later they sell. Beggars offering their services as guides. Rogues and vagabonds of all kinds that they follow every army. <laughs> but we do not speak of the present day armies. Uh, <laughs> dragged in its train. He says that, like, it's not necessarily the people of one army who is following behind who does the looting, but he's like, uh, they spoke Italian and followed the Germans, or French and followed the English. The abominable maxim, live on the enemy, fostered this, this disease. Evil condoned where evil condoned wears the mask of benevolent, benevolence. Um, but yeah, that's some sort of military leaders would kind of not discourage this kind of looting and it even in their own soldiers and that kind of thing would make them quite popular which he goes like i can't fucking believe that um but that wellington was uncompromising any person caught in this act would be shot forthwith so he uh we get some more wellington standing from victor hugo (laughs) (laughs) and then at this point here is the plot caught up with Victor Hugo. <laughs> At about midnight, a man prowled, or better, clambered. Um, from the look of him, he was one such as we have described. Neither English nor French, peasant nor soldier, less a man than a ghoul, drawn by the scene, by the smell of the dead. He moved warily and boldly. As to who he was, the night probably knew him better than the day. He it described. Was from <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? That would be a plot twist. <laughs> that is the first thought, though. Like, reading any Victor Hugo bit at this point when he's like, there was a man, and you're like, there's it's only one man. man. <laughs> the one man that exists. His cautious posture and rapid, mysterious movements caused him to resemble the twilight beings that haunt ruins. Certain nocturnal stilt birds of the marshes have a similar appearance. And I remembered to do for Nemo the... Um, Poor people described with animal imagery. Oh, watch. Um, so we're going to get some of those. But yes, yeah, so here we are. He's a stilt bird. Um, we're told that there's a cart nearby that has a woman in it. I don't know. Maybe they're related. Maybe there's uh, perhaps some connection between the cart and the prowler, but who's to say? <laughs> um, Wait a second. Yeah. Oh, that, I mean, that cart must be the cart, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, damn. That's very exciting. <laughs> the cart that represents France or something, whatever we decided. Yeah. The economy or the society, I think. Yeah, society. And right now, society is looting. <laughs> yeah, it's like a calm night. You can sort of hear the distant sounds of soldiers somewhere far off, the sound of burning. Let me just remind you, says Victor Hugo, about the sunken lane. I know I've said it before, but <laughs> again, remember what happens at the ditch. Okay, we're at the ditch. Um, and it's at this ditch that the night prowler is searching, peering at God knows what unspeakable sights and walking with his feet in blood. And he comes across a hand protruding from the tangled mass of men and horses. And the moonlight, that full moon, uh, gleams from the... Something shining on one finger, a gold ring. He crouches down, takes... Well, actually, he crouches down, and when he rises, the ring is gone. Instead of standing, immediately... Like magic. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> no close-up magic. <laughs> Stevie's one fear. <laughs> oh, something I didn't, something I didn't mention, but Victor Hugo mentioned really hard, was that everyone was a clown. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you put my two fears here? <laughs> um, was that yes? They were all clowns, but if you were, if um, the sounds of those soldiers was also like patrols making sure that there wasn't looting happening, because as we know, it was Wellington. He wasn't into that. Um, so the prowler doesn't stand up immediately. He's sort of trying to listen out for if there's a patrol nearby. Um, he keeps crouched in the posture of the jackal he resembled. Jot that um, down. Yeah. <laughs> um, a jackal uh, is a... Um, is a um, oh God, what's the word that for what a vulture is and a hyena is? Scavenger. Scavenger. Yeah. I had to work really hard for what that quite basic word was. <laughs> I mean, all three of us just yeah. went, oh, fuck. <laughs> so this jackal of a man finally decides, okay, the coast is clear, gets to his feet. Um, when he felt something tug him from behind, swinging around, he saw that it was the hand was he had gone. robbed, <laughs> which was now clutched in the hem of his cape. An honest man would have been appalled, but this one laughed. Only the dead, he said. Better a ghost than a gen... Gendarm. Yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> Better a ghost than a soldier on patrol. And he's like, okay, that was a bit weird. Maybe they're alive. Okay, I'll check. So he pulls the unconscious body and drags it clear of its fellows. It was an officer of fairly high rank with gilt epaulets visible above his breastplates. He hasn't got any broken bones or anything, but he does have a disfiguring scar across his face. That won't come up again at all. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, he basically survived by fortunate chance, if the word fortunate may be used in this context, by the other bodies that had covered him, kind of making him a protective bubble, and that's why this man isn't dead. Mm. Um, He wore on his breastplate the silver cross of the Légion d'Honneur. The Prowler removed the cross. He has no honour. Puts it into his cape, searches the officer, and helps himself to a watch and a purse. <laughs> when all he was engaged in this act of mercy, the officer opened his eyes and says, Thank you, weakly. The prowler did not answer, but looked up sharply, hearing distant footsteps. And the officer's like, Oh, who won the battle? The English, said the prowler. Look in my pockets, the officer said. You'll find a purse and a watch. The prowler <laughs> ma- made a pretense of doing so and said, There's nothing there. Then I may have been robbed. I'm sorry. I wanted you to have them. Damn. Well, but the sounds of the patrol grows closer. So the prowler's like, oh, gotta go. Um, and the wounded officer says, you saved my... <laughs> Sorry, that's why I started to crack. Because I was like, I'm reading this in such a way and I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm detecting from the drama of it all. <laughs> it's what Hugo would have wanted. I'm sure. Um, Actually, no, it's the opposite of what Hugo would have wanted, which is what we want. Yeah. (laughs) Someone's coming, and the officer's like, you saved my life. Who are you? The prowler muttered hurriedly. I was in the French army like you. I've got to leave you. They'll shoot me if they catch me. I've saved your life. You must look after yourself now. What's your rank? Sergeant. And your name? (gasps) Tenardier. 
I shall not forget that name, the officer said, and you must remember mine. My name is Pontemassi. <laughs> we did it. That, that's, that's the end of Waterloo. Couldn't escape if I wanted to. And now we know who won the war. And who was defeated. Wow. So, did Stevie, did you want to do a trial? <laughs> oh my god. Like I do, but I'm also like really happy that it's over. <laughs> I don't know if I'm defend in defense or if this is a I had a lot of fun recounting the fun bits to you both, which means that there was enough fun bits for me to do that. Mm. But mm. for every hour of content of us talking about a couple chapters was hours of reading. And I'm a fast reader. So I'd like yeah, like this end bit was kind of like fun and thrilling and I feel like we did manage to take a lot from his, like, I'm going to sum up for a little while, just hold with me. But it did, did it... have a reason for being there. Is <laughs> like, I am more, like, I kind of started this with being like, it's just an essay that doesn't have anything to do with the plot. But now I'm like, oh, it actually did, you know, have some reason to mm. be there, um, which is not what I expected to hear. This. No, he was definitely making like definitely making a point, hundred percent. Mm, whether it needed to be this long, yeah, I think it's the long. length that we're that we will um, argue argue yeah. on. The length, I would say, is excessive. Yeah, yeah. Like, could he? He didn't feel like he could just be like, "You all know that Waterloo happened recently. I know you all know this. So here's <laughs> my thoughts, and here's how it's relevant to my book." But mm. yeah, those, especially the beginning of Waterloo I really found a bit of a slog to get through and even mm. his like in this essay in the middle of Les Mis I will tell you the conclusion and themes of Les Mis that you're like but you kind of have been doing that throughout and you could do that with your actual story that you're telling at the end <laughs> so like uh, I can't remember if it was I think actually it was Norman Denny, this uh, translation that I'm using in his essay thing, that he was like, yes, I'm going to leave the Waterloo bit in there because it's very good, but mm. just because it, could it have been good as like a separate thing? Did this need to be here? Yeah. <laughs> Pont Merci, more like pontification. Bad. <laughs> I, don't I, know, do I, like it. <laughs> I thought that was excellent. <laughs> Fucking traitor, Stevie. <laughs> I thought that was great. That's all well, that's it. I guess yeah. that's all I can provide. <laughs> like I'm yeah. just, I'm here for, for juicy content like that. <laughs> like it took three of us to kind of like dig out those nuggets of like, okay, that he is doing something. If you are reading on your own, as Nemo, you've at least read this bit on your own, and I read this on, on my own. Yeah. Do you get that same thing without having to take three Absolutely three not. hours? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but then again like i don't know how um how because we needed to be held handheld a bit as well and we needed wikipedia but we're also not history students and also we're further away from um the time so i don't know how much of it like was understandable at the time and how much of it wasn't like would it have been as tedious if we actually knew what, knew what was happening. But he gave us a literal blow by blow. Like we couldn't have been given, especially me who had 
didn't make you listen to me read out every bit a literal blow by blow of everyone there and what they were doing at every moment and what every every shot that hit each tree so like yeah that's fair for someone with the context who lived it they maybe wouldn't have needed that so much and for us who didn't live that but have read it it's so so much (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's hard to argue whether or not like oh should it have been here I don't think it's hard to argue that this was a Victor Hugo vanity moment Mm. Mm. yes (laughs) (laughs) both of these things can be true (laughs) yeah it's just him masturbating again for however long (laughs) (laughs) yeah reading his book yeah, yeah, we are reading okay. his book. So he is allowed to have one opinion. <laughs> He's got so many Numa. <laughs> <laughs> we already let him have his opinion of the English. Yeah. We did let him have that, to be fair. Yeah, that's true. We did. That's maybe the first thing that we've let him have. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that was the cost. Like, reading the rest of Waterloo was the cost of that one yeah, chapter. Yeah, that one read on the English. Well... Are we glad that next week we won't have to think about Waterloo again? Damn. I bet. I, I mean, we will still have to think about it. We will. We will have to think about Waterloo again. <laughs> yeah, they like, I like that he didn't, he just went straight into book two next. Like, there wasn't another big blank page thing so that I could see Jean Valjean's name and knew it was coming and knew it was coming to the end of the war. <laughs> Don't oh, but we may pass over some painful details, he says, at the top of this chapter after making <laughs> well the rest of them. <laughs> he goes, like, there are no painful details in Waterloo, only good details. Yeah. But, but I'm no historiographer, so. Yeah. And also those other historiographers just, like, can't get this thing straight. <laughs> but don't read into it too much. Yeah, the, don't leave read too into it too much. Uh, Ooh, that's gonna. I like, think that Nemo, was my favorite thing. Yeah, <laughs> I, think I can. I can imagine Nemo like lying down to go to sleep at night, and then just sud- like closing their eyes, and just like suddenly like launching awake and being like, "Don't think about it too much." Are you kidding? Me? <laughs> <laughs> that should have been on fucking Victor Hugo's grave. Yeah, yeah, don't read into it. Go, don't read into it. Well, this has been Brennan Barricades, a lamest podcast. Don't um, read into it. Don't read into <laughs> it too fucking hard. Um, produced by me, Nemo Martin, and Julian Yap. It was a Captain's Collections podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or quibbles, send us an email at uh, lamospodcast, L-E-S-M-I-S-podcast at gmail.com or on Tumblr at breadandbarricades.com or on Twitter at lamospodcast.twitter.com. Probably. If you like us, uh, leave us a review on iTunes or send us some money on Ko-fi or on the other one we have, Patreon. That's the one. Our audio designer is Jade, who you can find on her bandcamp at jadewasabi.com. Oh, sorry, that's her website. You can also find her there. Her (laughs) bandcamp is jadewasabi.bandcamp.com. That's it. Mm. Thanks for listening. Let us know if you think that Waterloo was worth it or if you like to read into it. (laughs) I mean, yeah, that's if we've got any of our our listeners left. (laughs) Yeah, after three episodes of Waterloo. Yeah. They are fucking like when this is done. I want to shake your hand. <laughs> like yeah, for real. Yeah. It's only cat. God, yeah. That one person on um, uh, what was their name? 
from Germany who was like, oh, I would yeah. listen to you say anything. And it's like, will you? <laughs> yeah, yeah will you listen to this book? <laughs> I think that this could have been way longer. I, I really skimmed a lot, you guys. <laughs> Good job, Stevie, for being able to make it listenable, like tolerable. <laughs> We all know that it wouldn't have been if I had done it. Like, no. <laughs> it would have just been three episodes about horses. <laughs> yeah, there would be one reference to horses in the entire yep. thing, but you still would... managed to make. Yeah, yeah, you ain't wrong, and you should say. <laughs> um, yeah. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Thanks. <laughs>